Hello, and welcome to the Make Money Mediating Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Guthrie, and I'm an attorney, mediator, trainer, keynote speaker, author, podcaster, social media influencer, technology junkie, consultant, and coach. And although I know that sounds like a lot, but what it really means to me is that I've found a way to make a living doing what I love and doing it in a way that lets me help others. So in this podcast, I want to share some tips and insights into helping you create the career that lights you up and pays your bills, whether that's as a mediator, attorney, collaborative professional, or really anything that you are passionate about. So I'll be chatting with some of the most successful and influential experts in all areas associated with building your practice, and I'll share my own thoughts and the lessons I've learned along the way. So come along on the journey with us, and soon you'll have a practice that will let you make money mediating too. Hello, and welcome to the Make Money Mediating Podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. And today I am joined by a friend and colleague from California. Mark Lemke is here. Hello, Mark. Morning. It is so nice to have you here as one of my first guests on the reworked, renamed, rebranded podcast. As you and I talked about earlier, I decided that learn to mediate online wasn't really necessary for the world at large anymore because I think most everyone is is mediating online and has been. I know you have been for quite some time successfully during COVID. So I thought, you know, it's time to shift. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, what is it that most people ask me questions about? And it's always how can I actually make a mediation practice or a collaborative practice or really whatever this shift in their practice style might be? how can I be successful at it? How can I make my passion what I, I make money at? And you are someone who has very successfully done that. So I'm thrilled to have you join us today. I just want to give a little background so that my, my listeners know who you are and how I know you. We have known each other for a number of years through the Southern California Mediation Association. When I lived in California, everybody I know who knows me knows that I credit a great deal of my success in establishing a mediation practice in California to SCMA because the the membership was just so supportive of me. And you are actually the immediate past president. You guided us through COVID very ably. You and Andy Shelby, another of our our colleagues, you're also a full-time mediator. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, because not only are you a full-time mediator, you are a very busy, very successful, very happy full-time mediator, I would say. You've, you've had over 2,500 cases to date, excellent resolution rates. You've been an attorney for 20 plus years. You've been both plaintiff, defense, and insurance coverage counsel. So you're really positioned well to, you know qualified to assess assess risk and just really help your participants through that mediation process. And you've become very, very successful at it. In fact, we're going to talk about this more, but you don't even have a website because you're doing so well. You don't need to draw people in. I know. 
I know. So we'll talk more about that. I'll have your entire bio and, and all of your contact information limited though it is folks, because there's no website in the, the show notes, but first let me say thank you again for joining us. And I'm excited to be talking to you today, Mark. Always great to be talking to you, Susan. And thank you for the kind intro. And well, I do want to dive into the fact that you were not a mediator. When did you actually make that transition from attorney practice or legal practice to mediation practice? So I began my transition in 2011. I wanted to see as coverage counsel, I had attended hundreds of mediations in my years and worked with a lot of different neutrals all over the state. And I wanted to see if I was any good at it before, you know, really deciding that that's what I wanted to do professionally. I wanted to kind of test the waters and I did not want to make my mistakes locally among some of the same people that I might later need to rely upon. So I headed up to the Bay Area and I got involved in a program there. My thought was, let me see if I'm any good. Let me start my training. Let me start getting some experience. Let me learn a little bit about the different types of mediation that I, I may be exploring professionally. And then let me see if, based upon that, I might be able to get some recommendations to the consistently number one ranked program at the Strauss Institute at the Caruso School of Law at Pepperdine University. I was able to fortunately get in. I actually met with the then director of the Institute, a gentleman that I'm sure that you're familiar and many of your listeners are familiar with, uh, Peter Robinson, had a phenomenal conversation with him and was ultimately admitted and got into their master's program, which I loved and highly recommend. Yeah, well, I have to tell you, when I was applying to law schools, I applied to Pepperdine and my dad looked at me and he said, there's absolutely no way you're going to law school in Malibu. So just forget it. But when I went in and spoke at a conference there several, well, now it's like five years ago. God, what? I mean, it's it's a dream location. Yeah. I'm flies, yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, absolutely beautiful. But first, I, I want to go back to 2011 because 2011 is way before online and virtual, the virtual world descended upon us. So when you say you went up to the Bay Area, what did that actually look like? Did you physically take yourself up to the Bay Area and take training or what did, how did you do that? Exactly right. So I grew up in the Bay Area prior to law school. That's where I had lived. I still have family up there. So I figured, let me head back to some place that I know. The County of Santa Clara had a very well-regarded program and offered a 40-hour in conjunction with a lot of their court mediation programs. They also had community mediation. And it's funny because community mediation ultimately led to me getting certified in online mediation. I started actually doing online mediation in 2014, was certified in 2015, and ultimately wound up getting recognized by the County of Los Angeles some years later, got the, the pretty scroll that I could put up on my background in 2017. So that wound up putting me in very good stead for the world changing as we all remember back in March of 2020. So. I, I certainly remember watching a program that you were generous enough to put on for the Southern California Mediation Association. And after my experience, after having listened to your program, it was like, I got this. Well, that's, I have to, just so everybody out there listening who knows and thinks I was one of the, 
you know, pioneers of online mediation. You started doing it before I did then, if you were back in 2014, because I didn't really start diving into it until I moved to California, which was 2016. So you have more experience at it than I do. So bravo to you. Always um, things to learn from a Susan Guthrie program. Well, it, it was, I was lucky to be in a place where I could help people learn what we knew how to do, because I know it was a panic for so many of our practitioners and, you know, not just that shift to online causes panic, but for a lot of practitioners, this idea of transitioning from what for many people is a successful litigation practice, which comes with a lot of downsides in many ways. It's a, it can be a grueling practice, but an upside is it's usually generally financially worth the effort, or at least it brings a financial benefit litigation. And that idea for so many people of switching to a mediation practice, I think one of the biggest fears is that idea that I'm not going to make any money at this. I can't replace my litigation income with my mediation income. So a lot of people try easing into this, like I'm mainly going to litigate, but I'm going to take some mediation cases. And that's not what you did. You left litigation cold Turkey when you decided to make that shift. Yeah. Slight, slight spin, which is that I, I wasn't actually litigating myself okay. as insurance coverage counsel. My job was to take a look at the big picture of a case. What are the best arguments the plaintiff has, the best arguments the defense has? Where are we venued? Where's the money going to come from? What's it going to cost to get there? What's the risk for each side? And uh, can we get this thing shut down now? Because usually now is the best time to shut down a case. I traveled across the state, but as far as the grueling thing, the big grueling thing for me was having a lot of international clients. So I would put in what I thought was a very full day at the office. I would come home and then my phone would start ringing around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And it would be London or Geneva calling to say, we're, we're going to send you a file. Future tense, we're going to send you a file. The mediation's on Thursday. Here's an amount of money. We need you to go and shut it down. And it was my job to figure out how to do so. Now, one of the things that was really tough for me was figuring out my place within this, this legal field that I was a part in because I would go, I would shut down the case, I would have a very happy client and sometimes a less happy employer. And it would be both a less happy employer as far as attorneys and also as far as staff. And that was shocking to me. It's like, hang on, I thought I just did a really good job. I, I shut down the case for a small amount of money. I shut it down immediately after getting the file. And I'm getting grief from admin because you're telling us to close the file and we haven't even opened it in our system yet. And some of the partners that I was working with were saying, you know, you, you don't need to shut down the case right away, you know, do, do some work on it, you know, do some billing on it, send out some reports. And there was the tension between yeah. being very good at settling cases and keeping my employer happy as opposed to keeping my clients happy. So that's where I kind of started to think, you know, maybe my skill set lies someplace else. And the other difficulty that, well, other opportunity that I had is that some of the cases that I worked on were very complex with many numbers of law firms, with many numbers of clients. And I found that as I was working with certain neutrals more and more, that they would deputize me. 
they would say, you know, we've got this group of defendants and you ensure, you know, these two, these three, these four, these five, whatever it is. If you can get me this amount of money from all of those defendants, I don't care where it comes from. And that's part of what it is that made it possible for me to get really good deals for my client because I was settling cases with other people's money. And after a while of doing that, it struck me that, you know, hang on, here's a very prominent mediator who thinks that I'm capable enough that she's asking me to do some of her job. She's sending me a bill for doing some of her job. Her job? Maybe. Maybe I think about cutting out the middle person. So that was where I decided to do my transition. And one of the things that you correctly noted is that a lot of people try easing their way into it, as opposed to the, the cold turkey, you know, cut ties, move across the state, let me just go all in on this. And you're right, because you're also right that a lot of people financially or just risk-wise are, are not there. I was fortunate or unfortunate in that I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a family, kids, I didn't even have a pet. So it was possible for me to do this because it was possible for me to, to slash my overhead at that particular time in my life, which isn't true of everyone. And because litigation or coverage is not a poorly compensated field, I came into this with some savings. And that's one thing that it, it just breaks my heart when I meet mediators who are trying to break into the field who say, you know, I've got plenty of savings. I, I don't need to make money right away. I could go three months, maybe six months before my mediation practice is up and running. And that hurts me because I have heard that from a lot of people who are now former mediators because for almost everyone, it takes a lot longer than three to six months. How long do you, how long did it take you? Let's ask that. So it kind of depends upon how you're measuring it. Now, when I was going through SCMA's mentorship program, and as I was going through House's master's program, I had an opportunity to work with a number of very high-profile mediators. And of course, I asked exactly this question of, of a lot of them. And most of them estimated that it took them between five and nine years between when they hung out their shingle and when their practice was sustaining. Now, that's a lot longer than three to six months. Yeah. For me, I transitioned into mediation as a volunteer and as a trainee and as a student in 2011. I wound up hanging out my shingle in 2016. Okay. I would say it was probably about a year and a half to two years after 2016 before I was sustainable. And then it was up from there. So for me, I really wanted to get as much experience as possible, as much education as possible. I wanted to get that master's degree because at least in Southern California, for a lot of mediators, their number one credential are the letters RET after their name, meaning that was a perfect transition, meaning that they were a judge or justice. Now, I wasn't, and I was entering the field younger than many people. So I was thinking, what can I put after my name that gives me some of that credibility, especially if I'm working with people that I've not met before or who may not be familiar with my work. And for me, that was LLM. 
Listeners, I'm taking a quick break just to let you know that as an additional resource for you, I recently launched a free practice building tip of the day newsletter on LinkedIn, which will put quick tips and insights right in your mailbox every Monday through Friday. You can go over to my profile on LinkedIn and sign up there, or you can find the link at neon.page backslash Susan Guthrie. I'll put the link in the show notes to make it easy for you. And now I get back to our podcast. And that's been, I know, very helpful and very successful for you. But I also know that one of the ways you sort of front, I'll call it front loaded your experience is you did, I won't use the exact phrase we used in our our pre-interview, but you did an awful lot of volunteering, volunteer mediation work to get that experience in sort of a compressed timeframe. Can you explain that process and, and how helpful it was to you? But also I know you have a caveat about volunteering. Yeah, so for me, I really wanted to get a lot of experience. I wanted to learn as many different skills as I could before I started charging. I wanted to have a lot of arrows in my quiver. And I wanted to learn a lot more about the the human dynamic, not just the legal dynamic, not just the insurance dynamic, but how to figure out people. People fascinate me. And I can find something to like about almost everyone, at least for a period of time. And that helps, that helps. So for me, I did a huge amount of volunteering because I wanted to have experience to get me into the Strauss program. I wanted for every semester that I was a part of the Strauss program to have a practical aspect, not just to be learning about the theory, but really to be putting it into practice. So every time that there was a clinic that I could get involved in, every time there was field work that I could do, I I latched onto that with both hands. That was also more volunteering. And then when I got out, started work as I was looking at getting out, I started to take a look at the bios of a lot of successful mediators. And what I picked up on in marketing terms is validators. You know, very few of them just said, I'm a mediator, hire me. More often it was, I worked at this firm. I was a judge for this many years. But for a lot of them, it was, I'm on panel with this organization, with that organization. I've not volunteered at, but served at. And I started to look at, okay, so of those organizations, which of those do I think would be validators for me? Which of them do I think would give me some authority and a patina? And also, which of those can help me to get clients? Because it's very easy to get caught in the volunteering trap. It's very easy to kind of adopt this, if I keep volunteering, they will come mentality. And again, it breaks my heart to see a lot of mediators who do that for a lot of years. And it's a way to feel very good about yourself as far as the good that you are putting out there and the skill set that you're able to develop while also feeling very badly about yourself because it's not bringing in one penny. And for a lot of volunteer mediators, just looking around the room, you know, there's money in it for everybody there except unfortunately the volunteer mediator and how do you make that switch and that's where i think that a lot of beginning mediators struggle yeah well and i think we've both seen a a lot of younger early career mediators get caught up in volunteering which is in no way do i want to deter people from volunteering but 
the point of the volunteering is to get that experience. I like what you call it as a validator, you know, something that will give you that experience. And that experience is what then takes you to hopefully that next level with paying clients as well. And you need to have time in your schedule for those paying clients, even if you continue to be doing the volunteering. So your, your phrase, it, too much volunteering can leave you feeling good about yourself, but also not good about yourself. Because if we're working at something all day, but not making a living and need to, not everybody does, but if we need to we keep that roof over our head, we certainly need to start bringing in those, those paying clients. And, you know, you told me when you were first starting out that a, a mediator at Judicate West said to you that the market will figure you out. You don't need to know everything right now. The market's going to figure you out. So what do you, and you say that in the end, she was right about that. So, so what do you think she meant? And, and what do you, what, how do you think they figured it out for you? So I, I absolutely agree with that particular mediator. She's at the top of the field. She's in incredible demand. And it really struck me when she said that because it was sort of the mediation adage of we plan and God laughs that, you know, for many of us, we think, you know, this is going to be my niche. This is going to be my specialty, or perhaps this is what I've done all my career. And this is what I'm going to do as a mediator. And maybe, maybe not, or maybe to a certain extent, but maybe that's not enough to build a sustaining practice. And maybe you'll find that you're picking up other areas in addition to that. So for me, you know, one of the things that I think I have become known for over the years is my ability to deal with high emotions, difficult people, difficult attorneys, complex issues, and being able to kind of cut through it all in a way that is always moving the process forward without leaving people behind. And for me, that was quite a bit different than what I was doing as coverage counsel, because as coverage counsel, my ability to interact with the parties themselves was typically very limited. I would try to find an opportunity, especially if it was a mediator that I've worked with before. You know, listen, I would like to speak with the plaintiff. Happy to speak to her in front of her attorneys, but I think that it would be very helpful for me to speak with the plaintiff. And I would be able to say things that defense counsel would never be able to say or that the defendant would be told, don't you dare say. And because it was me as coverage counsel, because it was under the auspices of a mediation with all the associated confidentiality, I was able to cut through quite a bit. And occasionally, occasionally I need to throw my weight around a little bit because this was unusual and mediators would say, no, 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 you're just coverage counsel. Just sit there in the corner and cut me a check when I tell you to. And I would say, no. If I'm not given this opportunity, I'm gone and the checkbook goes with me. Your call. And more often than not, mediators caring quite a bit as we do about our resolution rates would say, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give you this opportunity. And after they saw that it wasn't the end of the world and that it was very helpful in breaking impasses and that I was making them look good by extension, a lot of them would, would start to invite it. And that really was, again, one of those skills that I brought from my, my legal practice into my mediation practice. 
and you stretch yourself. You're always learning new skills. You're always learning new techniques. You're always learning, you know, this might've worked well in these cases, but what am I going to do with the people in front of me? How am I going to break through today? And it's always something different. It is. It is. And I think what's really powerful in what you just said is that your niche has not ended up really technically being your area of expertise in law. It has turned out to be your human characteristics of being a person who is able to connect with people in certain circumstances, when there's high emotion, when there's complex matters. And that's not something, one, I commend you for even realizing that now, because I don't think as humans, we're that good at figuring out our superpowers when it comes to technique and skill set, et cetera, in mediation. We, we are easy. It's easy for us to figure out, well, I'm really good at family law. I've been doing it for 30 years. I know it in and out and upside down, but to understand that that is what's actually drawing people to you because they are, you are known in your industry and in your area as the go-to person for these complicated emotional matters, complicated cases. And I think the important thing for people who are listening there is that's not what you went into your mediation practice saying, come to me, this is who I am. It's, and so it goes back to what that experience mediator said to you, right? The market will figure you out. And so you don't need to know everything about who you are and what your practice is going to be as you set it up or you didn't. So for me, my specialty when I was practicing law was insurance coverage right? and bad faith litigation. And there's not enough of that to really build a mediation practice. There is for some, but not for a whole lot but I was coverage counsel over an employment dispute. I was coverage counsel over a personal injury or a wrongful death dispute. And so obviously I, I brought a lot of subject matter knowledge about employment law, about personal injury law, about product liability, premises liability. And that's where through volunteering, I was able to get a lot of experience in a lot of different types of cases at all stages, pre-litigation, litigation, appeal, sometimes still at the agency level through the EEOC or the DFEH, sorry, the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. So really just bringing expertise from every step of the case, from pre-filing through appeal. And that, that volunteer experience really put me in good stead, twinned with my legal background. Right. And brought you together. And tripleted, if you want to say twinned, I'm going to say tripleted, which works well for me since we have it's triplets, but yeah, I'm making it up as I go along, but also with your skill set, which does, you know, you, you are not, everybody has that ability one to deal with high emotion. I, you know, I work in that family law arena. High emotion is sort of the norm in that situation. And yet not all family law attorneys and all family law mediators really deal well with that aspect of it. So, you know, it, it all converged into sort of, I'll call it the perfect storm for you. And in fact, you've become well enough known in your area that you, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, you don't have a website. I said to, to Mark, when we were doing the pre-interview, I said, and at the end, where would you like me to direct people? Because that's what I do in every interview. And he said, oh no, no, I don't have a website. 
I don't have social media. I mean, you are not out there in what I think people who are listening think are the traditional and necessary ways of marketing yourself, so to speak. You are a word of mouth mediator. And I think a couple of things that that you've you've said that I wanted to just kind of highlight. One, I think for a lot of mediators, beginning mediators, there is sort of a, a fail to launch because the thought is, I need to have my social media empire. I need to have the perfect website. I need to have written books and papers and authored and presented. Let me get all of that in place. And then I can start to start selling my services. And that can take years, unnecessary years. And for a lot of people, because so many other mediators and beginning mediators are, are in that same boat of let me build my social media empire, there's a lot of competition. Now, one of the things that I remembered from back in my, my legal days was, you know, how did I typically find a mediator? And generally speaking, it wasn't, let me, let me jump on Google. Let me see somebody's SEO analytics and see who's getting the most traffic. It was, who do I know? Who do I know that can give me a recommendation? Who has a reputation? And based upon that, that's who I want to use when I have the opportunity to select the mediator. As coverage counsel, more often than not, I actually didn't have any say in who the mediator was. Right. I was stuck. So I was simply showing up and now I need to figure out the mediator and now I need to find a way to make this work for my client. And that is the word of mouth that has sustained my practice. I was watching, and I, I don't know if it's okay to do product placement or anything like that, but I was watching an episode of comedians in cars getting coffee yesterday. And it was Jerry Seinfeld with Trevor Noah. And Trevor Noah was talking about his success and how he was one of the generation of comics that did not have a big social media practice, that they didn't become famous on social media before becoming more objectively or traditionally famous. And I think that there is space for a lot of neutrals out there to take the same path that I did. I'm not saying don't have a website. I'm not saying don't be active on social media, but find what works. Find how it is that you are going to meet your clients and the people who are going to want to hire you again and again. That is right there. That's the golden nugget in this episode. Find what works for you because there is no formula. There's no cookie cutter formula. It makes me think of, you know, I work with a lot of professionals who are starting to either transition from a litigation or some other type of practice to mediation. And I met with one of my clients and we were talking about her social media and she literally started crying. And I said, you know, what's wrong? And she said, Susan, I feel so badly. I just hate this so much. I hate Instagram. I hate it. <laughs> and I was like, then don't do it. And she said, well, but you do it and you're so good. You know? And I said, but that's, I do it because I enjoy it and I enjoy the interaction and it's where my listenership is for my other podcast. I said, if you don't enjoy it, do not do it. Do not do it. And so I, I, I 
wholly back you in the, there is no cookie cutter and you have to find what works for you. And certainly that word of mouth has worked for you. You in in fact told me in our pre-interview that, you know, you hope and, and expect that within five years or so you'd have the ability to retire at a young age. Thank you very much. Younger than me. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, a bit more white hair though. Well, I've, you know, I've, I've got a little help, but you know, at, and, and which is a wonderful option to have. I mean, you have built a practice that not only has been successful, but I know as, as one of your colleagues out in the world that you can be very, very proud of and that, you know, has, has done a great deal of good and has advanced you personally and your practice and what you put out there in the mediation world has advanced our practice of mediation in your practice and in what you have done for SCMA and other organizations. You have been an active participant in so many California organizations that support mediation and dispute resolution that, you know, I just want to applaud you for that as well. And that'll be something that I'll be talking about how getting involved in organizations can be incredibly helpful to your career. I'll be talking about that in another episode, but Mark, one last thought for people who want to make money mediating. Just do it. I mean, don't let the the perfect be the enemy of the good. Don't allow yourself to get caught in failure to launch. Don't be paralyzed. There's no substitute for getting out there and doing it and building and learning and becoming known and, and really becoming known for what it is that you uniquely bring to this field, because this field has a tremendous amount of need. There was a, a quote from the West Wing that stuck with me. It was C.J. Craig, the press secretary interviewing a reporter, and he said, I don't know if there's ever been a more important time to be good at what I do. And I would challenge all of your listeners. I don't think there has been a more important time given everything that is going on in our society and in our world to be good at what I do. And the number one way to become good at what you do is to do it, to do it again and to do more and do still. And on those words, I'm going to say thank you. What a great way to, to close this out. And Mark, I just truly appreciate your time and uh, your sharing your expertise with my listeners. Thank you so much. Always a privilege being with you, Susan. Thank you so much. Be well. You too. Thanks for listening in on this episode of the Make Money Mediating Podcast. I hope you got some great insights and tips on creating your dream practice. Join us every week on Thursdays for a new episode. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. And if you're enjoying the podcast, here's a shameless ask. Please consider giving it a five-star rating and tell us in a review what you find most helpful. It's honestly the best way for others to find the show so that they can make money mediating too. I'll see you next week.